You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. When the much-hailed 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons came out, I, like many of you listening, got hooked in a big way. I also got hooked on the sort of pulpy, epic fantasy stories that influenced the creation of the game. Authors like Robert E. Howard, Jack Vance, and Fritz Leiber. Lieber. Still don't know. What came out of this was a short story called Cascade Rock, about two outsider brothers, Ven and Darl, hunting for treasure in the perilous Valley of the Gods. With this episode, I am proud to bring you the first chapter of my all-new eight-part series continuing Ben and Darl's adventures in the Valley of the Gods, the Seed of the Fey Tree. Before we get started, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review this show on whatever platform you listen to it. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Seed of the Fey Tree. Chapter 1 As you may have heard, it happened once in the age of the immortal emperor Perennius Zet that three halfkin bound their fates together in the Valley of the Gods, a wild land full of wonder and mystery. They could not have known it, but as they sought to gain and retain a great fortune, long-forgotten deities stirred in their slumber, roused by the halfkin's probing of their derelict realm. The Halfkin returned to the frontier town of Cascade Rock the very evening of their departure into the wild. Silver stars presided in the east over the black silhouettes of the Dawn's Edge Mountains, but the western sky still evinced the faint purple vestiges of the spent summer afternoon. Points of amber flame cast long, shimmering reflections in the calm water of the cove above Cascade Rock's dam, as by this lamplight the frontiersmen and women of the town drug out the residue of that balmy day, ducking into the coveside tavern or haggling a last-minute supper from the fishing boat before trekking down to their mountainside homes. As a halfkin, those strange folk representing the last the world knew of all the fey bloodlines, then felt conflicted about the common-blooded townsfolk ambling about the dam. His own people had been excoriated and expelled from more towns than he'd cared to count. Friends and kin had lost their lives due to fear and prejudice, but the far-flung frontier town of Cascade Rock, built unassailably into the cliffs beside an ancient dam, had harbored them in the face of grave danger, albeit with very little hospitality. Then feared that Cascade Rock represented his band's last hope for protection against their most dangerous foe, the marauder Baron Redway, wearer of the eldritch crown of teeth, scourge of the frontier. 
if they could build a home here, if they could blend in, or perhaps gain some measure of acceptance, his people might have a chance at peace for a time. It was this notion that thrummed in his heart as he took in the scene from where he sat at the till of a sailboat approaching Cascade Rock's Lake Harbor. Then, with his keen, somber eyes, peered through damp locks that hung over his brown brow and, at his temples, concealed the conspicuous points of his ears. Before him lay his brother Darrell, snoring softly on the bench, his large, pale hands folded over his massive chest. His jaw hung slack, revealing the tip of a protruding lower incisor. Ben glanced at his brother's thigh, where a crossbow bolt had lately pierced the thick muscle. The improvised bandage was stained green with Darl's distinctive emerald blood. Ben raised his head to the bow of the humble craft, where Adracia stood gripping the forestay, straight and cold as a sword's edge. She wore traveling boots and a harness of blades. Even after a day as they had, one filled with violence, injury, and extreme physical exertions, a delicate floral perfume drifted off of her as if it were the very scent of her perspiration. The wind died down as they passed deeper into the cliff-sheltered harbor and the boat drifted toward one of the wooden docks, then cleared his throat. Adracia did not turn around. Yes, she replied to his unspoken question. I'll give you back the map, but this enterprise we've joined together in, it is a dangerous one. I'll be part of the planning when it comes to next steps. Of course, Ben blurted more eagerly than he had intended. Only today had he learned that Adracia, the famed bounty hunter, sent to apprehend his brother in the name of Baron Redway, was in fact a fellow halfkin. Due to this revelation, a fast but uneasy camaraderie had formed between them. When they were close enough, Adracia leapt the small gap to the dock and tied the boat to a piling while then roused the sleeping Darl. Darl's face was pale with the loss of blood, but he managed to stand, though shakily. Is that? The large, broad-shouldered halfkin mumbled, looking out over the marina. Ben glanced in the direction his brother indicated and saw a familiar boat docked and unmanned on an adjacent pier. He scowled. We'll worry about him later. Ben said of the fisherman who had abandoned them at their fateful destination earlier that day. We need to get you somewhere. He's been exiled, Adracia said dryly. Where can we take him? The three halfkins stumbled through the crooked doorframe of Amadise's shack, Darl's massive bulk leaning heavily on Adracia and Ben's shoulders. Amadise? Darl muttered. You here? The stovepipe maze and beaker-cluttered darkness within made no reply. Probably at the tavern, Darl said weakly. When lanterns were lit and Darl had been eased down into a cleared corner and made comfortable with some straw and a few blankets, Ven and Adracia hustled off to summon the interested parties in their joint treasure-hunting venture. Magistrate Retton arrived first. 
Is that a fishmonger's cart in the street? He said in his gruff, authoritative voice. Adratia, who had summoned the magistrate and left his dwelling without explanation, now awaited him, oiling her short sword while seated on the edge of one of Amadis's workbenches. She lifted her head to acknowledge the question, but made no reply. We borrowed it to transport Darl and whatever treasure we were able to carry away from the temple, Ben said windedly as he crossed the plank behind Retton, fresh from his own errand. Retton regarded Ven with some surprise. He looked at Adracia questioningly, but when she offered no explanation of why she had gone from hunting the Hafkin to helping them, he seemed to shelve his wonder. He turned back to Ven and said simply, You'll return it. Ven nodded and entered the ramshackle dwelling. Two women accompanied him. One was tall, statuesque, stern-faced, and nobly comported. Char del Burro. Mother to Ven and Darl, leader of the Hafkin band, sojourning here in Cascade Rock. She greeted everyone present with polite but brief words and crossed the cluttered room to where Darl lay sleeping. The other woman followed Char, acknowledging Ven with a reassuring smile. She was a smallish person with a pretty round face. Her soft, Delicate features were strikingly contrasted by onyx black horns curving backward out from her nest of umber brown hair. She carried a black bag and Ven watched as she crossed the room with it. He watched her as she set it down on the floor next to Darl, opening it and producing the instruments of her craft with practiced efficiency. He watched her gently rouse his brother from sleep, and he saw the admiring smile on Darl's face when his own eyes settled on her. Then watched Elizabeth Gormonger, the way one watches the moon in the night sky. Lizzie, Darl said, mush-mouthed. Good to see you again. Then looked away. A pale, rangy man now stood in the doorway, sucking his teeth and casting around the room, eyeing the halfkin as if inspecting them for defects. Sheriff Huxley, Retton said, thank you for coming. Someone steal a fishmonger's cart, said the sheriff. Uh, borrowed, Ben offered. You're gonna return it, kid. Huxley said with a sniff and stepped inside. While Lizzie worked on Darl's leg, Ven cleared off a table and poured out the treasure they had collected from Raywin's temple. Retton picked up and examined the gold coins and precious gems without greed while Huxley stood back, arms folded on his chest, as if to touch the treasure would be an inconvenience to him. He jabbed his chin in the direction of the table. This all of it, he said. Ven scowled at the tall man. What do you mean? The sheriff spoke again, measuring out his words this time. Is this all of it? I don't think you understand, Ven said. We barely escaped with this much. There are things out there. I know what's out there. Huxley said, and there was something in his voice that brought the room to silence. He said nothing in that silence, but his gaze stayed fixed on Ven like a huntsman taking aim. 
Char spoke next. My apologies, sir, she said with cold courtesy. But we have made an agreement with Magistrate Retton. Perhaps you should allow him to arbitrate his own affairs? Where's Lord Herath? the sheriff said, ignoring Char and turning his gaze on Adracia. Adracia set a hand on her belt near the hilt of her short sword and gave the sheriff a vague grin. Slain, she said, by my hand. Huxley took a breath of resignation. Well, that settles it. I'll have to confiscate the entirety of it. Char cocked an eyebrow at the magistrate. She spoke sternly, but politely. That would violate the agreement we made with the venerated magistrate here, would it not, Master Retton? Retton cleared his throat. I find myself in something of a bind. It is possible that I may have overstepped my authority in bargaining for your son's life. Sheriff Huxley Forrester can forgive me the oversight, as his position was only recently created here in Cascade Rock. I was elected sheriff and given a mandate by the people to deal with precisely this sort of situation, Huxley said. This sort of situation? then repeated disdainfully. When has anyone in Cascade Rock encountered this sort of situation? I am sorry, said Huxley, in a tone that made clear that he was not sorry. That the magistrate has given assurances he cannot back. He has promised to consult me in such matters in the future. For now... This treasure must be confiscated until we can determine what justice dictates under these unusual circumstances. Please, Venn said through gritted teeth, explain to us how stealing our hard-earned gold is justice. Huxley's laugh was dark and condescending. Should I honor an agreement that you have flagrantly broken? He cocked his head at the corner where Darrow lay unconscious beside Lizzie. The brute was exiled. Then dug his fingernails into his palms until he felt his mother's hand on his shoulder. Sheriff, she said, I am willing to renegotiate this arrangement if that is what you're after. But by my reckoning, you may have less leverage than you think. Justice is not negotiable, Huxley said. Char smiled with sudden warmth. Did the magistrate say you are a member of the esteemed Forrester family? Huxley narrowed his eyes at the question. Char went on. Your kin run the mill, do they not? So perhaps you have an interest in all this that goes beyond mere justice? What are you implying? Said the sheriff. Part of our agreement, Retton put in was for some of the treasure to go toward the repair of the mill Darl damaged. So you told me, and so it may still. As sheriff, Char said, your mandate is to protect the people of Cascade Rock, is it not? Am I right in inferring that the recent activities of the Lord of Teeth have motivated your people to create this office that you so recently filled? Huxley glared. What's your point? 
If you take even a coin of this treasure, she said, you'll ensure the Lord of Teeth brings his wrath down upon this town. She's right, said Redden. The map that led them to the temple was stolen from Baron Redway himself, and he is certain to lay claim to every coin and gem. This is why he sent Lord Herath to collect the map, and if Herath was truly slain by the bounty hunter, by taking this treasure, we become party to his murder. Huxley chewed at the inside of his cheek. Char took up the argument. Perhaps you think you can merely hand over the villain responsible for this crime to the dreaded Baron and say nothing of the treasure you stole. I assure you that will not work. The crown of teeth imbues Redway with dark virtues. He will detect your deception. Huxley recrossed his arms. Ah, so you think you can scare me with your halfkin fairy tales. Typical. Fine, said Adresha. Arrest me. She shifted on her feet, poised like a blade raised to strike. Her hand remained on her belt, near the hilt of her sword. Huxley lifted his chin. His right hand drifted to his left hip, where his own blade hung sheathed. Rutten caught the sheriff's forearm in his big hand and shook his head. Redway will come, the magistrate said. Huxley yanked his arm free. He wouldn't dare disrupt the flow of hardwood to the Emperor's shipwrights. You don't believe that any more than I do, said the magistrate. It's something we say to enhearten the men and women of the dam. The Lord of Teeth will come whether we harbor his enemies or not. Such is his thirst for power and bloodshed. We can meet him with groveling, or we can meet him with strength. There is treasure in the valley above, left behind by the Hafkin's progenitors. That wealth can... I know what's in the valley, Huxley said with a scoff. No one's ventured further into the wilderness than me. Then you know there's more than treasure up there, Ven said. We encountered a relic every bit equal to the crown of teeth. Truly. Huxley said, squinting one eye. And where is this relic now? Gone, Ben admitted. Swallowed up by the Leviathan. Then what good would it do us? There are four more temples, four more gods. Each may have a hoard of treasure. Each may have a trinket, a relic of power. These are fools' dreams, Huxley said in a low voice. I have encountered nothing but peril in the valley and death. I saw the spear of Raywin, Adresia said. I wielded it with my own hands, as did Darl. I do not know if there are similar weapons in the remaining temples, but I do know Baron Redway. Bargaining with him is impossible. He will see it as weakness, and there is nothing he hates more than weakness. He is a roaring lion. Roar back or be eaten. Huxley exhaled hotly. A lion, he hissed. And what about the wolves we've already let in the gates? He turned to Retton. Sort this out 
See to it my family is compensated, and tell your filthy halfkin not to cross me or the law, lest they taste the righteous wrath of Cascade Rock. With that said, he swept out the door onto the dark street. We're not all like him, Breton said after a brooding moment. The folk out here on the frontier often have as much reason to distrust the Emperor's civilization as the Halfkin do. It is difficult to live so near the Valley of the Gods and not feel the potency of the Fey world, the power of your people. You mistake us, Char cut him off. We are not Fey. We are as human as you, or else we are as much human as we are Fey. Rutten nodded. Of course, he said. Then, shall we get down to business? I have the forester's estimate as to the cost of repairs and the loss of productivity. It's very dear. However, with a cursory evaluation of this hall, there should be something left for you, Hafkin, and I presume Adresha. But that brings up the thorny issue of the murder of Lord Herath. Cautious eyes turned to Adresha. She gazed, unperturbed, into the shadows ahead of her. If Redway suspects, Redden went on, it will merely speed his arrival. The best we can hope for is that he calls for an Imperial Inquisitor to investigate. But if the murderer is discovered, it will strengthen his position in the eyes of the immortal Emperor, and the Emperor has already given him so much leeway. I can deal with Redway. Adresha said. He is not, in fact, immune to deception. I'll make him think I gave Herath the map, and he betrayed him. Herath has always been filled with vain glory and unhappy with his station. Redway will believe it. But the sheriff and you, magistrate, will have to cover up the murder here. Do away with any effects Herath left behind. Make it seem that he disappeared on an expedition into the valley above. Redden and Char exchanged looks. You can trust us to take care of it, Redden said. But can we trust you, Char said, setting her stern gaze on Adresha. Adresha bore the intensity of Char's stare for a moment, as if it contained a scolding she knew she well deserved. Finally, softly, she said, Yes. You betrayed your employer, killed his lieutenant, why should you not betray us? To this, Adracia simply said, I won't. I trust her, said Ven. She saved our lives more than once. She had the map and she returned it to me. She's on our side. And if she changes sides again, Char said. Ven looked at Adracia, a question in his eyes. She responded with a terse shake of her head. Ven looked at the floor then said, I trust her. She lied to the sheriff to protect us. I killed Herath. Frankly, if we don't choose to trust her, then we have to kill her. And that's not going to happen. Char and Adresha stared long at each other, both their faces a cipher of their secret thoughts. Lizzie cleared her throat. We may have a more immediate problem. She'd quietly approached the table, unnoticed, and now commanded everyone's attention as she toweled Darl's viridescent blood from her hands. She addressed Char. Soldiers, wicked ones, 
will often lace the tips of their arrows with septic fluids or poison. I'm attempting to draw the rancor out of Darl's wound. I'm confident I can save him, but we need to be prepared for... The injury may cause permanent damage. Char's eyes fell to her son, lying in the corner. Only Ven could hear the subtle way her breath caught in her throat. He touched her arm and mustered all the certainty he could convey. Darl heals fast. I've seen it. From worse than this. Lizzie looked at Ven and smiled, but her eyes were fraught and glossy. I need a few things from my wagon. Of course, said Ven. I'll go now. By the time Ven returned from the third climb up the mountainside in less than 24 hours, the tabletop had been cleared of the majority of the loot that once spread out upon it. Rutten looked to be on his way out, a bulging burlap sack on his shoulder. Fear not, Madam Char, he was saying. We'll find suitable accommodations for him as soon as he's up for it. Char bowed her head once, and a slight smile brightened her careful face. Rutten patted Ven on the shoulder, then passed out into the switchback street. What did he mean by that? Ven said. Char let out a heavy breath. Darl remains an exile, but I think I've gotten the magistrate to agree to a compromise. Not much treasure left on the table, Ven said handing Lizzie the bag full of items she requested. We have a sheriff to buy off now, Char said matter-of-factly. Ven frowned. So he's a member of the Forrester clan, he said. Maybe I can bring them around to our side with my, you know, talent. Lizzie looked up from her work, eyes wide. Char let out a small sound in her throat. Neither woman spoke. What? Ben said. Lizzie glanced at Char, then returned to her work. You mean the trees? Char said. Do you think it's safe to do that? Why? Ben said. Because of last time. And the time before that? Lizzie said without looking up. Ben's shoulders sagged. Char consoled him with a smile. Let's keep that idea in reserve. As Lizzie set about her work, Ven found his own body too heavy to remain standing. He slumped onto a stool. Adracia appeared beside him, her travel pack strapped to her back. The two halfkin watched Lizzie for a moment. I'm leaving, she said. All right, good night, Ven said warily. You should make another expedition into the Valley of the Gods as soon as Darl is able. If he is able. Then whispered this so his mother would not hear his doubts. Adresha nodded. I'll expect more compensation for the risk I am taking. So see to it. You're leaving Cascade Rock now? Adresha turned toward the door. I am not sure when I will be able to return, but I expect a fair cut when I do. Farewell. She opened the door and stepped out onto the plank bridge. Ven stood up. Wait, he said. She turned, expectant and impatient. Thank you, Ven said. He wanted to say more, 
but weariness fogged his thoughts. Adresia looked almost pained by Ven's expression of gratitude. Then, her mouth curled into a weary smile. You should have kept your mouth shut about Herath, she said, and left. Ven slid down into a corner, turning his coat around on his chest. His eyes blurred with drowsiness, so he listened to Lizzie and his mother whispering to each other and Darl's slow, deep breaths. An open window let in the pine's scent and their soft rustling on the evening breeze. When compared to other human settlements, Cascade Rock, in spite of all the trouble, had treated his halfkin band with an uncommon amount of courtesy, the sheriff and his ilk notwithstanding. As he drifted into sleep, a surprising thought fluttered through his mind. Wouldn't be a bad place to settle down. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Weep Bar. Music help from the incomparable Mackenzie Stubbard. Please consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls.